Have you heard? 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 Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Have You Heard? I'm Aaron French. And I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And Jennifer, I hear we're headed out west this week. That's right, we're going to San Francisco. A beautiful, beautiful city, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask if you got to see the Golden Gate Bridge while you were out there. Well, by an amazing coincidence, it just happens that the high school that we're going to visit overlooks the Golden Gate Bridge. Pretty sweet. Uh, sightseeing aside, though, what are we talking about today? Well, let me ask you something, Aaron. Does it make sense to you that if students have a chance to study something that they're really engaged in or care about or feel like affects them in their world, that they're maybe going to be more interested in the school? I'd say so. I mean, if I were given the opportunity to study Neil Diamond's sequin jumpsuits over the past 20 years, I'd definitely do it. I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> Back to San Francisco. We're going to go and meet some ninth graders, and we're going to hear from them about their new social studies curriculum. Now, it happens that these students are studying school lunch, but what they're really learning from this curriculum is how to keep going when somebody throws up an obstacle in their path. You know, now that I think about it, there's this word we use in my ed reform circles. Um, I, I, I'm missing it, but I think it rhymes with Brit. Nope, I am not familiar with that <laughs> word. That is not what this episode is about. Be that as it may, shall we head to San Francisco? Let's go. The school day has just started at San Francisco's Washington High School. But in David Coe's ninth grade ethnic studies class, the talk is all about lunch. At 10 o'clock, you usually don't expect to have lunch. It's usually around breakfast or late breakfast. So if you have lunch that early and you have classes later in the day, you're going to obviously be hungry. And if a teacher doesn't let you eat in class, then you're kind of like, I guess, screwed. All year long, these students have been learning how to identify, analyze, and come up with solutions to community problems. The class chose to take on the topic of school lunch, and they've been examining the issue from every angle. The first students I talked to are taking on Washington's crazy lunch schedule. But what they're learning goes way beyond the issue of how to time lunch for 2,000 students. The main thing we've been learning is like something called praxis, which is basically identifying the problem, analyzing the problem, uh, trying out a solution, and then seeing if the solution works. And it's been like really good so far because you can apply it to almost everything in life. The semester will be over soon, which means that the push is on to get final projects done. The students I talked to next seem to be struggling a bit. They decided to focus on nutrition by interviewing kids about the food choices they make when they go off campus versus staying at school to eat. But first, they had to figure out how you do an interview. Uh, I was pretty nervous my first time. I mean, I got used to it, though. So, yeah, I like, I don't know. It just felt good the second time. Social studies teacher David Coe says that he's constantly having to remind himself that most of the ninth graders he's working with have never done anything like what this class requires. Uh, it's their first time doing a lot of different things. Um, and especially with the next phase, after they've gathered the information and trying to change something, uh, there's, uh, for many, most students, it's the first time they've done anything like that. But the most important lesson these students are learning may have little to do with how to conduct a survey or even how to fix the school lunch schedule. They may not realize it, but they're learning how to bounce back when things don't go their way. 
like the students who found out that when you want to interview your peers about their food choices, you can't just walk into a class and announce that you're ready to start the questions. Oh, man, that's tough. Like, we learned that the hard way. Well, we got yelled at. It's hard. <laughs> the official name for this class is Ethnic Studies. But a more accurate title might be How to Navigate the Great Big Impersonal Bureaucracy That Is High School. Like the students who've determined through their surveys that the extra short lunch period on Thursday is causing more of their peers to be marked tardy. Now they have to figure out how to document that without running afoul of student privacy rules. Yeah, definitely. And trying to figure out uh, whether what information students are allowed to have access to and see if it's confidential, find out which person they talk to and find out when they can talk to them, find out the best way to contact that person, see if it makes sense for all of them to be there or just one of them to be there. Uh, and that is not necessarily directly in uh, state content standards, but it's a useful skill that I'm not sure where students learn if not here. The concept behind a course like this is pretty straightforward. Give students an opportunity to study something they care about, something they feel like they have a stake in, and they'll be more engaged in school. Until recently, though, no one had really looked at whether this approach actually works. So does it? A lot of uh, interventions don't have this kind of magnitude of effect. Um, this is a pretty, a, a very big effect. That's researcher Emily Penner, part of a team at Stanford who's been studying San Francisco's ethnic studies curriculum. She and a colleague followed ninth graders who had GPAs below 2.0 and were at risk of dropping out, and were then assigned to the ethnic studies class. They compared them with a group of ninth graders who had slightly higher GPAs, but who didn't take the class. And what they found was striking. Their attendance um, in uh, all of their classes was 21 percentage points higher than the kids just above the threshold. Um, they earned uh, 23 additional credits by the end of the school year, and that corresponds to about four additional semester courses worth of credit. Um, and their GPAs were uh, 1.4 grade points higher, and that's in classes that exclude social studies, so not in their ethnic studies class. We actually threw that GPA out to make sure that they weren't just getting easy grades in the class, and that was inflating their GPA. Those are big gains, and the students who made the most dramatic progress, says Penner, were the ones who'd started out being the least engaged in school. If you can get some of those kids to buy into showing up every day, um, investing some time in paying attention and turning in assignments, you know, there's a, there's a lot of space for improvement, and, and making those kinds of changes um, can have a big effect. What makes this study so unusual isn't just what researchers found, but how it was done. When those ninth graders who'd struggled the year before showed up on the first day of high school, they got what researchers call a strong nudge to take ethnic studies. It was on their schedules. If they wanted to get out of it, they had to meet with a counselor and sign up for something else. You know, usually when um, schools design courses like this, they let whoever wants to take the class take it. They just say, hey, we're offering this new thing. Anybody who's interested, sign up. Um, and in this case, they actually wanted to target the class at a particular type of student. Um, and that's not very typical, I think, of how a lot of courses are designed, or at least how they're um, ultimately uh, implemented in terms of who gets to enroll. Penner says that the researchers have several explanations as to why the ethnic studies curriculum turns out to be so effective. In addition to the persistence lessons that we heard going on in Mr. Coe's class, these classes also help students understand why their own identity is valuable. 
They spend a lot of time trying to help students identify stereotypes and then talk about the ways in which those stereotypes might be negatively impacting them. They spend a lot of time coaching students uh, on how to learn about their own backgrounds and identities and families and communities and then um, write reports about um, why those backgrounds are valuable. The they that Penner is talking about are San Francisco's ethnic studies teachers, which gets at something else unusual about this experiment. This curriculum was largely designed by teachers like Mr. Ko. They came up with the course, they tried it out, and then they refined it to make it better. This is a place where a district said to its teachers, go meet with each other, plan something, and execute it. We support you, we're giving you resources, we're giving you time, and then they let it happen and just let it unfold. And then the district came to evaluators and said, we want to know if this is working. You can probably tell just from listening to Penner that she loves the fact that teachers led this initiative. She used to be a teacher across the Bay in Oakland. But she cautions that one of the challenges of expanding a program like this is that the passion and care of those original teachers isn't something that can just be ordered up. We talk in education a lot about implementation fidelity, which is kind of a buzzword that mostly means um, people are careful about the ways in which they actually um, enact the thing that they have set out to do. And we think that the ethnic studies teachers are really careful and conscious about sticking to the course that they designed together. And we worry that as new people are brought into the fold, they may not have the same level of skill. They may not have the same level of um, desire to put in the same amount of effort (laughs) and and many other reasons uh, that could make it more difficult to see these kinds of effects. Take Mr. Ko, who helped design the curriculum. The morning that I visited his classroom, he never stopped moving. One minute he was helping some students try to figure out how their entire online survey had just disappeared. The next he was giving a crash course on interview protocol. All the while keeping in mind that since the goal of the class is for students to learn self-advocacy, they have to figure out a lot of this stuff for themselves. Yeah, I mean, and just uh, sort of from from my perspective of trying to uh, kind of work with the expansion of ethnic studies to school sites that have never had ethnic studies before, there's a tremendous amount of logistical planning. I mean, certainly on the student's part, but also on the teacher's part. Um, And so definitely uh, having something where students get to choose the topic and get to, at least within parameters, choose the methodology and choose uh, a lot of different aspects they don't normally is is fantastic and it's uh, enriching and it's invigorating uh, and it's also tiring. Co confesses that there are definitely days when the demands of overseeing a teacher-led, student-centered experiment can seem overwhelming. That's when he can almost understand how we've ended up with a public education system that in many ways represents the exact opposite of where he and his ninth graders are trying to go. The convenience of having uh, millions of scantrons that are put through machines and are scored immediately, and that is a way to uh, evaluate students, maybe not 100% accurately, but at least quickly and efficiently, um, and and in, in sort of an entrenched system that people are used to, is uh, there's momentum that keeps it there. Ko says that he hopes that the strong results of the ethnic studies course will lead to its further growth. In San Francisco, that's already happening. The school board recently voted to expand the course to all 19 of the city's high schools. The students in his class are focused on a more immediate goal, getting those final projects done. And even for the students who started out furthest behind, that goal is looking pretty attainable. I mean, we're working pretty slow. I mean, but at least we're getting our work done. We're, we're like catching up slowly. Yeah. 
Thanks again for listening to this edition of Have You Heard? Once again, you can reach Jennifer and I on Twitter. I'm at Aaron Mofo French, and Jennifer is at Edu Shyster. And this was episode seven of the podcast. And another big thank you to all of you guys out there that have supported us thus far. It's been a really cool project for us to work on. But that's it for us this week. Until next time, I'm Aaron French, and that's what we've heard.